This episode of The Vergecast is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Have you ever automatically uploaded all of your photos to your iCloud by accident? That's not smart. But you know what is smart? Hiring with ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful technology finds people with the right experience for your job and actively invites them to apply. So you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the United States based on a Trustpilot rating of hiring sites with over 1,000 reviews. Vergecast listeners can try it all for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Verge. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash Verge. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Hello, and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of the Vox Media podcast situation. <laughs> that was good. Uh, no, we have two now, so we're officially we're officially a podcast network again. Uh, and the second one, Why'd You Push That Button? It's back, season three. Uh, new episode just went out this week on uh, basically creep-shotting people in public, which I think you should everyone everyone should listen to. Ashley and Caitlin did a great job with that. So you're listening to the Vergecast now. I'm Neelai. Mm-hmm. Paul is in Hawaii. Hi, Paul. Hello. How's Hawaii? It's great. It's beautiful. It's, um, well, I, I have a story, but we should say hi to Dieter, too. Hi, Dieter. <laughs> Hello. I'm smack in the middle of you, too. I'm, I'm in, still in California, so it's, it's the, a real moment we're having. In my, in my right mind, now. the only good thing about California is its proximity to Hawaii. Wow. <laughs> That's where I'm at with California. So, it's harsh. Yeah. yeah. But fair. I mean, that's not totally unfair. <laughs> uh, no, California is wonderful. Paul, tell me your story from Hawaii. Okay. Well, so I've been spending a lot of time at the mall. There's a really big mall here. And um, so I was like, well, there's a Verizon store. Went to the Verizon store, got the Pixel 3. Yeah. And then I, Ooh. And then I switched my number over. I'm like, I'm just going all in. But it was... You know, it was reckless um, because because what everybody I'm at a wedding and everybody the wedding is communicating on WhatsApp. WhatsApp can only be on one phone at a time. Uh-oh. So I moved WhatsApp over to the Pixel Three. I think my number's ported. I'm not really sure, but I left the charger, which is this is my only USB C device currently. I left the charger in a car. It's like, hey, no problem. I'm walking distance from a 7-Eleven. Go to a 7-Eleven. They don't have USB-C chargers. So, what? Every so other have, phone is USB-C. <laughs> I know. I what know. kind of phone I chargers? Did, too. Do they not have phone they chargers had micro at all? USB and they, they had micro USB and they had lightning. They had micro USB chargers? Yeah. So, Do you also go so back in time or did you just go to Hawaii? <laughs> No, that's just how it, how it is most places. It's hard to get USB-C. Yeah, I disagree. Still. You know, you know mm. what they say in Hawaii, YOLO. That means <laughs> relax. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, in Hawaii they say, don't worry about USB-C. <laughs> See, Paul, so what you should do is go out. You should go out and buy a Mate 20 Pro because then you could use a Mate 20 Pro to charge the Pixel 3. Mm, that's that's good. probably my only solution at this point. Yeah. Or you Although can go you can't to buy another store. America, you can go back so. to the mall that you're spending all this time at. <laughs> it feels like the there's mall. a lot of choices out there for you. <laughs> How do you like your Pixel 3? Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's great. I like the multitasking. I don't like the Google search app. I need to... F- I, I like Googled something and it was a whole page of like, here's a Wikipedia article. Here's like seven other people who are like this person. Here's another row of random people. Here's another Wikipedia. And then like you scroll all the way to the bottom and it's like top result, the actual URL I was searching for. Yeah. 
So yeah, I, gotta get, yeah. I gotta, I gotta get my workflow down, but I, I like it. I like it as a device. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. You know that those mobile search results are a hotbed of European regulatory activity, Paul. They're, like they're coming <laughs> for you. They're going to fix that for you. <laughs> Tuck, tuck, go phone. $40 premium. <laughs> All right. Um, by the way, I said I started introducing why'd you push that button? And I said then I introduced us. I never told the audience what they should do after they listen to the Vergecast. So listen to us on the Vergecast and then stop oh. and then go listen to why'd you push that button yes. because it is indeed wonderful. Okay. This week is uh, jam-packed of stuff. Uh, iPhone 10R reviews happened. I got a little little baby scooplet out of that review. We should talk about that. Uh, Google's night site for the Pixel is like leaked, and so we can talk about camera stuff. Uh, Dieter, you reviewed just a strange Lenovo thing. I did. Mm-hmm. That's a it's a good time. Uh, and then there's an Apple event next week where I think I can say with a stunning amount of certainty that we'll see a new iPad Pro because it just keeps <laughs> leaking. <laughs> so, uh, so we got a lot of stuff to talk about. So let's start with the 10R. Uh, I reviewed it. This re- uh, uh, it's a strange thing to review a phone that is substantially similar to the one you already reviewed, and so you get a second crack at it. Um, yeah. And I, so I was talking to James Bear, my creative director, and I was like, "This is weird. I feel like I'm just repeating myself." And he goes, "You know, the real problem you have is the 10S review." was just an iterative update to the 10. So it, it's like Ooh. your third round of does face ID operate? It's your third round of are these gestures a good idea? And so you just like set all that aside. And what can you focus on with this phone? That all being said, I read everybody else's reviews and everyone else mm-hmm. landed on the same thing, which is correct. I, I don't, everyone's right, which is this is the one you should buy. Which is yep. a strange, extremely strange place for Apple to be in, where their flagship product is not actually the one that most people should acquire, right? Where their most expensive phone is is being positioned by its, you know, sort of the class of reviewers as you have to be crazy in some way to go spend that money when you can get this one. Yeah. So I have, I have a million questions for you, Neil. And my first one, having... Read your review, watched your 14-minute video. By the way, message to the Verge video team. Uh, if Neil gets to make 14-minute videos, quit telling me to make mine. I have to be like 13 or under. I'm I promised saying. them eight, um, by the way. I just want to be really clear. Yeah. I said, I think just, I could do this in five to eight. And then there was a microscope. And then and it's just all kinds of we had my Pixel. We had my Pixel 3 review at like 1430. And like, we got to get it down to under whatever the iPhone XS was. And that was 1333. I know it. We got it down to like 1332. And I was like, stop shaving seconds. It's fine. Um, <laughs> and then you roll out with 14 minutes on the iPhone XR, which we already all never heard about. It was anyway, like a quick I 14. Question. I've watched everything, read everything you've had to say. I edited your review. We've yeah. talked about it on the phone. We've gone in great detail. You've put everything that you have to say about it out there. Just you get you get one word to answer this question, because after all of the information, I still just kind of want you to just tell me, is the screen good? It's fine. That's two words. It's, well, the oh. word is fine. The, the, <laughs> the answer, when you're like, you get one word, my answer was, it is fine. The word is fine. Uh, okay. so lawyering it, my it, way it's through that fine. one. It's fine. Uh, it's, you know, it's not great. I Like, I don't know. I, 
I don't know if I'm just super picky. Uh-huh. I, I have been told by many reasonable people that I am. So I believe that I am. But at the same time, I know uh, that we have built an audience of tens of millions of nerds who like to read about technology products, right? Like 40 yeah. some million people read The Verge every month uh, or, you know, want to watch our videos or listen to these podcasts. And so it's hard for me to be like, I'm, I'm especially picky, right? Like I, I know right. that there's all these people out there who, who feel the same way as, as I do about some of these things. And then on the flip side of that, it's like, um, I say it's fine. And, you know, an army of YouTube commenters tells me that I've, uh, I'm cheating everyone because it only, it's cheating. it has an 828p display instead of a 1080p. Like the YouTube comments are insane mm. and they're, they're delightfully insane in a way that I appreciate. Like I want there to be arguments about pixel density and resolution in this world. And what, if you, if that's a thing you want, you just have to put up with the fact that they exist. Um, yeah. So here's what I'll say. I didn't put this in the review because it's so hard to quantify and it's impossible to show, but uh, I'll, I'll say it to this this group and to the Verchess audience because I think they'll know what I mean. The, the most bothersome thing about the screen to me is that if you are using a 10s or even using a 10, the lamination, like the thickness of the glass between your finger and the pixel is noticeable. I really? can't possibly show this. It's you have to notice it. Mm. There's like a you yeah. can you can see that it's a different experience. It doesn't feel quite as much like your the immediacy of the pixels aren't there. And then on the right. corners there's a little bit of haze and a little bit of like around the edges because of that extra thickness. Uh Matt Panzerino at TechCrunch described it as a drop shadow uh, around the edges of the display. Uh That's so, very kind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he, Matt typically does not harsh on Apple and he, yeah. in, that, in that specific way. And he, he called it right out. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just a lesser display. And I find the, the brightness cut when you turn it off axis to be insane. Uh, right. like I would not want to have this thing in my hand all the time. Um, other people that I gave the phone to couldn't even see it. Right. So when you hold hmm. the phone off axis, I think that, you know, they had to re-engineer the backlight. They had to make the backlight even. There's a bunch of stuff they had to do to make that work. Um, when you turn the phone off axis, even just a little, the brightness drops. It's just, it's super noticeable. We put a GIF up. It's in the video. There's a little bit of a pink shift too, but it's really the brightness drop that gets me. And so the phone is so big that the way I, I think I hold phones pretty close to my face. So some part of it is always off axis to my eyes, right? Especially as you like move oh, it in right. your hand. Yeah. And so the, it shimmers at me, right? In this really distracting way that I just can't unsee. Um, other, again, other people that I showed this thing to did not notice that at all. Like literally I was like, do you see it? Like, it's great. And they're like, what are you talking about? And uh, this GIF is in comparison to like the iPhone 8. Right, previous Apple LCD. So I have always said um, before Apple did an OLED, that I prefer Apple's display tuning. Um, that you know, I think I think their LCDs are nicer to look at than Samsung's OLEDs, and people get mad about that. But Samsung's mm -hmm. OLEDs are so oversaturated and crazy that I just prefer the more natural look of their LCDs. So I was expecting, oh, this is just be another Apple LCD, and for the most part, it is. 
But that that shift, that brightness off-axis shift and the color shift is really noticeable to me. And then sort of the the lesser immediacy versus the 10s is noticeable to me. Right. Now, millions upon mil- and so, you know, my review, I said if it, you decide, like put a dollar amount on how much you care about the screen, is it $250? And then you know, every commenter is like, it's the screen. Of course it's the most important thing. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to get into a fight in YouTube comments, but to me, it's like millions of people buy shit LCD TVs, right? Like they, they yeah. signal to the world that they don't actually care about how it looks. Millions of people buy cheaper Android phones with lesser displays. So there is an argument that you're paying, you know, you're paying this Apple premium, you get their latest processor, you get their latest camera, you get, you know, a beautiful thing, which is not to be um, discounted, and you get this lesser screen, and that, and that accounts for the discount. I mean, you get a bunch right. of others. You know, it's not made of stainless steel. It only has the one camera on the back. Um, it has LTE advanced instead of gigabit LTE. There's, there's stuff. It has one gig less of RAM, although it's pushing so many fewer pixels, it kind of doesn't matter. Um, so there's a bunch of stuff you don't get. But really, day-to-day... Most people should buy this one because it's cheaper and the screen is fine. Yeah. It's like, should everyone in the so, world okay. go buy an OLED TV? Like, if I bought one. Shouldn't should most people? Like, no. You'd never no. demand I, that. I wish I had bought one. Okay, so you said it shouldn't be discounted, which brings me to my next question. And this might actually be for Paul. There's been a kerfuffle that uh, everyone's like, oh, my God, they you get the, the cheaper iPhone, the less expensive iPhone is such a good deal. Um, they They finally did it. And uh, compared to um, the, you know, last iPhone, low-end iPhone, uh, it's, like, not a great deal. Like, 750 is still a lot for a phone, right? Feels like a lot to me. I did not like spending $800 <laughs> on the Pixel 3. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was not fun. I mean, the high yeah, I think phone. the Pixel 3 and the iPhone tenor are, uh, we're calling it the iPhone tenor, by the way. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, this, this, this does solve, this does solve that problem that I highlighted in the iPhone. When the iPhone 10 came out, there was the rich people phone. And then there was the non, the, the phone for the pores. Yeah. Which was the, the mm-hmm. iPhone 8. Now there is a phone for the middle class, I guess. Like sure. if, if you want, if you want an iPhone, if you if you have to have an iPhone for whatever reason, because of iMessage or your favorite app is on it, or, or for some reason you have to have an iPhone, but you are actually on a budget, you probably yeah. get an older phone than this, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do. You can, I do you can see get an iPhone as a phone for, for cheap. Yeah, but there's a lot of adequate phones that still exist in the lineup that are cheaper than this. But this does seem yeah. like a pretty strong middle class iPhone. Yeah. Paul, I mean, are, you, are you suggesting that they should have made a brown one? Like, it should have been brown on the back, and then the, the bezel around the screen should have been, like, a, a really, like, dark green color, and then it could have become the avocado toast of iPhones? <laughs> the millennial phone. Um, <laughs> it'd be wild if they let you do color combos. Um, yeah. Yeah, I you know, it's expensive, but uh, compared to, you know, so the 8 Plus is there. The 8 Plus is only $50 cheaper than the 10R. Which mm. to me mm-hmm. is like kind of damning, right? Like, um, the idea that you're going to get the older design, the older chip, the older camera, older everything, but what appears to be a, a, a nicer 1080p panel, and then for fifty dollars more, you can get 
that literally an upgrade of every other thing and maybe like a sideways move on the screen or a downgrade on the screen for 50 bucks, it really suggests that the cost of that screen is is the thing that's that's giving yeah. it. You know what I mean? Um so yeah, I don't know. Like, should you buy an eight? If you want a small phone, you have but two choices in Apple's lineup. You have last year's phone, uh, the eight, or you can pay a lot more money for a 10s, or you can go try to find a 10 while the last remaining stocks exist, which is once again last year's phone. So like that, or it, you can buy a Palm Palm phone and have a phone put, for your phone and have it. No, you, you can't. You have to buy a regular phone and then buy a Palm phone. What's the cheapest right. phone right. on Verizon that you can buy to have a Palm phone as a second phone? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was like, you know, one thing. Like, we got to talk about the screen. We talked about the screen. It's, it's, everyone should go look at it. I would actually love to, love to know what people think. Go look at the screen. Go to the Apple store, go to the carrier store, look at this thing. Just like, let me know if you think it shimmers the way I think it shimmers. Cause it was super noticeable to me. But again, I, I think I'm, I'm quite picky with these things. Um, then there's the camera, and the camera is the one that I wasn't expecting people to be unhappy about in this way, and it's, like, the most consistent feedback I've gotten from the review. So it has just – it's the same camera on the front, um, which is – it's, like, a fine camera. Um, it can do portrait mode with a true depth sensor. And then on the back, it has the same 12-megapixel f1.8 Smart HDR main lens. It does not have the telephoto lens, but it can do portrait mode on the back, kind of the same way Google's doing it. It can use its you know focus pixels, face contrast thing, and figure out some depth. Apple only lets you do portrait mode on people because they've they were very insistent that they think Google gets it wrong too often. So they spent their time doing ML learning on just people uh, for portrait mode to work on the iPhone. Uh, That's what the Pixel 2 ostensibly, they, I, no, maybe it was one of them. Maybe it was the selfie. The, I think the selfie camera only worked on people. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, whatever. Sure. Um, but so the interesting thing is that the iPhone XS and the iPhone X that have two lenses, they can do portrait mode on anything because they can use that second lens. So the way it works is you turn on portrait mode on the iPhone XS and it switches to the second lens, which is the telephoto. And then it uses a wide-angle lens to calculate depth, right? Right. You only have one lens. You have to take the photo with the brighter lens. The telephoto lens is f2.4. It captures less light. It appears to me to have a, a lesser sensor. Um, so you like, you're using this lesser camera, and you're using the wide-angle lens to figure out depth. On the 10R, you've only got one bright lens and the best sensor. So you use that to take the photo, and then they just like cut it out and do their cool blur. That means the, the portrait mode on the 10R works better in low light. Like, just hands down, absolutely does. They were open about it. Like, we're using the, the brighter lens. And so I point this out in the review, and people are like, does that mean the 10R is a better camera than the 10S? And the answer is, like, only in the limited case that you're trying to take portrait mode photos in low light. Of people. Of people. <laughs> <laughs> Which is mostly what you take portrait mode photos of, so I can't imagine. Um I that's not something I do. I, I take so few portrait mode photos. I think it was a big deal. And it is I, I, just the reaction that the 10R, you know, use the wide angle lens for portrait mode is a reason you should buy the 10R versus the 10S is just out there. Apple would not tell me if they would ever enable the 10S to do portrait mode off its wide angle lens. It's obviously like a very complicated situation because 
you switch to portrait mode, you're in the wide angle, you can only do people, but you switch to the telephoto, now you can do anything because you have the two lenses. That seems like an interface nightmare. Uh, very unApple. So I, I imagine next year they'll they'll figure it out in some way. But for now, if you know the main thing you do with your camera is portrait mode in the dark, you should buy a 10R. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> the cameras are are identical. And they I asked them very directly, hey, is there any difference here? And they were insistent that the cameras are identical. They're running the same software. The one thing they did tell me uh, is, and you you either believe this or, the, or you don't, but there was beauty gate in which people thought the selfie camera was was doing a beauty filter on faces and smoothing things out. And then conspiracy theories about the Chinese market and how well, crazy town. Apple said, no, 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 that's that's not the issue. Um, we're not doing that. We would never do that. They're very insistent. They don't do that stuff. They said we smart HDR had a bug in which, you know, it takes four frames, one of which is a long exposure, and it was picking the wrong frame as the base frame with the selfie camera. So it was picking a blurrier exposure for the from the selfie camera. And then when it was, uh, it was doing the HDR so merge into that, it was getting a slightly blurrier effect on the face. And they say in 12, 12.1, we'll fix it. So that's got to come out. It's in public beta now. If you have, you can go get it and see if it's fixed. I don't have it yet because yeah. I can't, I'm not allowed to put it on review devices. <laughs> so that's why I don't have it yet, but you can go and check it out and we'll, we'll, we'll check it out when it happens. Yeah. So every time there is a big phone release, there's always a series of gates, right? A series of things that people mm -hmm. are mad about with the phone. So for the Pixel 3, it's, there's a scratch, there's a problem with, um, RAM in certain situations, it'll close apps in the background, it, depending on what other app you open, uh, which isn't really a, enough RAM issue. It's a like RAM management issue. There's like speaker crackling that some people are experiencing, um, you know, like down the line. And like, it's like some gates are like, yeah, like you probably should have caught that. Some gates are like, did you, did you use it before you started selling it? <laughs> um, and the, the smoothing thing on the, iPhones is one of those where it's like, like, did you use it? Like, everyone's saying this thing. A bunch of people are coming to your defense saying it doesn't exist or like our our eyes are wrong and that we're looking at it wrong. <laughs> um, and the details there, we just can't see it with our human eyes. Um, and it's like, but if it was just a bug, uh, like, how did you not, I don't know, that seems like the kind of bug you catch. And like, I... I I'm not accusing them of lying and saying that, like, this actually, they shipped it one way and then it turned out people got mad. So they're claiming they found a bug to fix it. Like, that, that is not what I'm saying. Um, but it's also just weird, right? Yeah. Like, okay. So I have a, yeah. I have a crackpot theory. You ready okay. for a crackpot theory? I am. And I, th there's, I don't have any evidence to support this. Um, but so it's a, it's a crackpot. I just want to be very clear. This is my theory. I think mm -hmm. the 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 there are two there are two big things to know about the iPhone 10R and 10S cameras versus previous ones. Um, one, the rear sensor, the main sensor, is like thirty some percent bigger, but they mm -hmm. run it more aggressively at the same sort of exposure level than the previous camera because they want more light. Like Apple is chasing light in a, in a very aggressive way. So they've got a bigger sensor, it can collect more light, but they run it at a higher ISO or a longer shutter speed at the same sort of brightness level in the world 
because they want to collect more light. So it's a noise. It produces noisier images because they're very confident they can get rid of that noise. This is a thing they told me. The second thing to know is um, the front the the thing that they're doing as they try to collect more light is they they merge a bunch of exposures together and one of them is a longer exposure, right? So that's they, they have right. this longer exposure, which is going to collect shadow detail, which is what they want most of all. So I think okay. they wrote this code where they want to run the sensor real hot and run the exposure real hot and then do a bunch of noise reduction. And all that they, – they, they did all that work for the rear camera and they just did it again for the front camera and just used the code again. And they forgot that the front camera – this is a crackpot theory. They forgot that the front guess. camera isn't stabilized. So the rear camera is optic has optical image stabilization, right? Uh-huh. So, so this if is you a, run a it, copy and paste job, right? So they just, they just like forgot that this setting on the front camera it, or this hardware feature on the front camera isn't there. So you're you're running it real hot. You're keeping the exposure open longer, but you know it's stabilized, so you'll get a sharp image. And then you do it again on the front camera without the, the stabilization, so you get a blurrier image at the same. At the same but you don't see it zoom. because your computational photography is so good at fixing blurry problems that you just end up with a photo that just is a little bit smooth. Right. So you've got so on the back camera, you've got this like noisy picture and you do all this noise reduction and that ends up with some smoothing. On the front camera, you've got a blurry picture and a noisy some no, some ISO noise and you do noise reduction but it's already blurry to begin with and it looks like you applied a beauty filter because you didn't have a right. stabilizer. That's just my it's total tin pot theory that they just ran the same code twice and forgot that they weren't getting a stabilized photo out of, out of these settings. Um, again, That would be hilarious if it were true. Crazy town. So, like, we're picking the wrong frame. They're, they're picking the one with the most light in it and merging back into it instead of picking a darker, sharper one. And Right? You see what I'm saying? Um, yeah. All of this is a lead-up. So they're going to fix it. It's 12.1. You can go check it out. All of this is a lead-up to say that I am now convinced – iPhone smart HDR photos look insane. They look insane. <laughs> and I, I, I have come to it's three rounds of reviewing this camera now. The 10s, and then Go- Dieter got the Google Pixel 3. And we, you know, that what else are we going to compare it to? We're going to compare it to the 10s. So we like did a whole another round of photo comparisons. And then this camera, which is the same as the 10s, what are we going to compare it to? The Pixel 3. So our third round of taking photos of smart HDR. Or second round against Pixel Three, and right. so Dieter, I know you. Um, <laughs> I know you were frustrated by this, um, and I've come to find it very charming. But James Barham, our creative director, is a total Pixel stan. Whatever yes. that camera does is the best thing for James because he loves <laughs> it with all of his heart. That's not. That's not true. Like to be clear, like he he does judge it, but like yeah, no, he's he harsh. loves it so much that yeah, that it, you you end up like worrying. That, he loves its you know, flaws. You need to, like, yeah. Like he's like, yeah. look at that. It just everything is smudged in pink. But that's that's like you know, it's like amazing. Um, but you know, he's he's very he's hypercritical of all photos, but he, he he's yeah. very fond of the, the Pixel camera. And he's fond of it for this reason, which I have now come to believe as well. Um, I'm less charming and British than James, so I'm gonna say it differently. But James is always <laughs> saying the Pixel camera is photographic, right? It takes it takes right. photos that remind him, and he was a longtime film photographer. It reminds him of shooting on film. It has quirks and foibles. They're, the images are contrasty, which is the thing we've talked about a lot. Um, it's using all of its HDR in service of taking what he refers to as uh, images that look photographic. The iPhone camera, on the other hand, 
And Apple actually told me they're doing this on purpose, that they, they, they shot a bunch of photos, they looked at how they appeared, and they said to themselves, these look different than what, we are ex- than what people would expect, but we think this is better. This is a choice that they made. iPhone photos just blow out contrast and shadow in images. They make right. everything look like you brought a reflector or a light to clean up the shadows. So it looks like you had a fill flash on a face to even out the light on a face. It looks like you brought mm. a reflector to even out the lighting on a person. Like, it's crazy town. Um, and sometimes it's great. So, like, if you're shooting a sunset, the iPhone will do will do that, just sort of naturally do it better. It'll just, like, figure out, it'll evenly expose the whole thing, and you'll get that sort of dramatic sunset and the lights on the buildings or whatever. But if you're shooting, like, a, a person, there's a photo in our review. I just took a photo while they were shooting Mario, taking selfies of herself, and it literally looks like we were on a photo set. Where, like, we brought lights, we lit it, everything was e- evenly yeah. bright in the entire frame. And it just, we were outside at a bar. Like the bar at a tent mm. and there were some skylights. It was a little bit, the light was a little bit diffused, but we were literally just at a bar. They did not think about lighting this bar perfectly, I assure you. And it, that photo looks perfectly even. And so some people might really like that. I just think if you are used to how photos look, you're going to think these photos look a little bit artificial. And I, Apple. But you, you also, you also said that you were getting used to the camera and know what it, now that you know what it's doing, you're able to like, I don't know, control it or, or at least like, you know what you're going to get when you take a photo. So you feel like you, that it's not doing like stuff that is bonkers that you don't expect anymore. And you kind of know more what you're going to get when you snap the shutter button uh, now than you did like a month ago. Yeah. Like a month ago. True? Yeah. So it always, always, always wants everything to be exposed, right? Every single thing in right. the frame. It wants a perfectly even exposure. So the one place where I can consistently break it is, let's say you have a small human in your life, and she's always like very small, <laughs> and like shadows t- <laughs> shadows tend to completely envelop her. Um, tracking so far, yeah. So if if that subject is always in shadows, just by the nature of the fact that most shadows are bigger than her, and there's a, a light source in the background, the iPhone will meter for the window, and then it will try to bring up the shadow that she's in to to bring out the detail in the shadow, right? So Max mm-hmm. is sitting in a chair. The chair's in front of a window or there's a window adjacent to it. The iPhone will correctly expose the window because it has – the only way you can do that is by shooting a shorter shutter. And then mm-hmm. it will bring up – it will use its long exposure and bring up the shadow, right, that she's in. So I end up with this perfectly exposed window and like a tree out the window and then a a noisy photo of the baby, right? Mm. Because it's brought up the shadow detail for the baby. That's like not what you want. And you think they could figure out like that's a face. You're very good at faces as you've insisted with your portrait mode. Like get that right and let the window blow out. I don't care about the window. And so like what I'm saying is I now know what it's going to do. I know it's going to make that decision that everything should be even, so I, I, I just won't take that photo. Whereas I think the Pixel oh. will generally figure it out that what you want is the person and you're probably less worried about the window. So that's what I mean. Like, I've gotten better at getting it not wandering into the errors that it will make. But at the same time, it 
it's just it's it's aggressive. Let's even this out and make a good looking photo. Is weird. So we put some test shots up of uh, Maria, our, our one of our video producers. She like did we have shooting this review is super fun. Maria and I ran around Williamsburg taking selfies of ourselves. So there's a photo of Maria in the bar. There's two photos of Maria in the bar in our review. One is she's standing in front of a pinball machine, and one she's like sitting on a couch in a totally dark corner of this bar. The pixel photos are like probably they're not great, but right. right, she's really red. It's kind of blown out, like it's super contrasty and weird. The iPhone photos look good. They also look nothing like reality. Like you would not know that Mario was being lit by red lights in this room, or the red light mm. of the pinball machine was lighting her, and that was really the only light in the space. You would just think there's some light in this room, and it caught it, and it faded out the pinball machine. So, Paul, I, I leave it to you. Would you rather have more accurate photos or more pleasant photos? Would you rather have a, 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 a capture of reality or would you rather have a, a usable photo that's nice to look at? I can't even, I can't even decide. Yeah, I don't that's know how to decide. <laughs> like, how do you, is, I mean, you're I did, evaluating I did this. I got, I got Pixel 3. I'm, I'm, I'm going with the Pixel 3 aesthetic. But I, I do, it does seem like the thing to do now that this is all software I just like, you know, like maybe when you wake up today, like what mood are you in? What do you want your photos to look like? And then you just pick. It's like picking an Instagram filter, but before you take the photo. Yeah. Because if it's all software now, we should just be choosing. You shouldn't have to make a $1,000 purchasing decision to decide what aesthetic and what priorities you want your your phone camera to have. Dieter, what would you pick? I mean, I'm, I'm not going to get a 10s or a 10R just because... I can't buy three phones or five phones or 10 phones every year anymore. Um, so I'm going to stick with my 10. Uh, and I, I do have a Pixel 3. And I tend to pick the Pixel 3. Um, but I don't know. I, I mostly take pictures of my cat. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, like, I like the things that the Pixel 3 does to pictures of my cat. Yeah. You know, my, my, this metaphor is going to break down and be confused. And I can do portrait mode with my cat, too. So but yeah. just, just, just run with me on this extremely broken metaphor. All right. Uh, you know how, like, video cameras and, and movie cameras are extremely advanced now? You know, yeah. Red makes I'm a camera. It can, it can, like, do anything. <laughs> camera, are you saying cameras these days? Cameras. You know, you know cameras these days. The Hollywood types. They're like video cameras now. Yeah, yeah. We did this like, last week. Like the ones, the ones Peter Jackson uses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. PJ's, PJ yeah. cams. Right, you know how PJ cams. So Peter Peter Jackson is actually a great example here, right? Cameras in your pajamas. Yeah. <laughs> Old Pete is like, man, I got these cameras. I can do anything. I'm going to shoot the Hobbit at 48 frames per second, right? Yeah. And yeah. everyone's like, Pete, what are you doing? You're a crazy person. And he, he's like, but the camera, look at how cool it is. I'm just going to mm -hmm. I'm gonna turn this dial, and we're just going to turn it yeah. up to 48, and that's my movie. And then everyone was like, that movie looks insane, right? Or right. uh, motion so just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right. Or motion smoothing. Samsung's like, all video will be shown at 240 frames per second, right? And they take your they take the West Wing and now it looks like a play. Because Samsung So what you're saying is cameras or Apple Apple's camera engineers and software engineers are the equivalent of Peter Jackson. Like a guy who has like a nice house and like the living room's pretty big, but it's not like holy crap big, but he nevertheless decides to put in I don't know, four like $10,000 speakers in there because like, he can. Well, no, that's me. 
Hold on. <laughs> what, are you, what are you saying? What are you saying, Bone? Um, no, I'm saying that movies are shot at 24 frames per second. For a reason. Right. TV is shot at 20. Prestige TV is shot at 24 frames per second for a reason. That's how you expect it to look. There are valid scientific arguments for why we want to shoot it this way and preserve this blur and create this cinematic feel. And when people try, when Peter Jackson tries to make a movie at 48, it looks really weird and the experiment fails. When TV manufacturers try to interpolate frames and create smoother motion on 24, people don't like it and Hollywood directors wage war to get the default turned off. So right. there's a way you expect things to look. I, when, when James tells me over and over again that the pixel looks photographic, what he means is it uses its technology stack, it uses HDR, and produces a, a better version of the thing that you expect, right? Right. It, pro it produces what you expect. It's just really nice. What Apple is doing is they're, they're flattening the, the, the light in the photo so much from shadows to highlights that it looks fake. And the only but metaphor I have is this is what happens when you run a 24 frames per second thing through a motion smoother, and then it looks like a play. But isn't there work? an argument to be made that Apple is just accepting that everybody just looks at these things on phone screens anyway? They and... insisted to me that this is not the case. I, I mean, I, again, okay. this is my third shot at it, right? right. So I came in. I was like, is this true? Like, are you chasing the Chinese market? Are you just trying to win Instagram? And they said, no, we want to make a great camera. We just – we know these photos aren't as contrasty, but we we think you can add the contrast back in if you want it, but we'd rather give you as much – even lighting and detail as we can. Right. So it's it's the opposite argument. The argument is that you will edit an iPhone photo more, which hmm. I don't think is true. No. Or you're Peter Jackson. You're just like, yes, these hobbits are so smooth. <laughs> I'm so powerful. <laughs> what, what else is there to say about this phone? I think there the size is, is dumb. Uh, I, I, oh, you think the size I, is I'm dumb? just going to say, I think the size is dumb. I think that they're... Um, if you want a small, like you said it earlier, if you want a small phone, you're you're kind of out of options, right? You can only get the that's ten premium ten uh, S. Yeah, uh, is Apple mad about that? They're like, great. Yeah, I mean, you can buy an eight. The eight's way cheap. You can buy an eight. It'll, it'll probably okay. last for several years. Yeah. Um. I Apple seems very convinced that people pound the table and they want small phones, but they really want big phones. Yeah. They, they, yeah. They, no, that. The numbers are, are are clearly out there in the market research. So someone's got to come out with a small phone that's so wonderful that it changes people's mind about smart small phones. Yeah, you can't you can't just make plam. Have <laughs> you plam? Yeah, you, you heard of my plan. friends at plam? <laughs> you can't just plam it up. Uh, I mean, they, way, I, in a sense, they are trying to create a whole narrative around the small phone, but I don't know if it's enough. Um, I will say that Google's night site. You, Dieter, you have it, right? The so night you can, for the uh, Pixel 3 is out. If what you want yeah, so is... someone... It's not out. So what? What as of this recording, it's not out yet, but like there's an APK that you can download that's on XDA and some Android police might have an APK mirror. And it is like the version of the camera that will support Night Sight. And it might not be the final shipping software. So the 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 experience might change. Like you have to hit the back button in a weird way. And like... I can see why they haven't released it yet, and I'm hoping that they make a few changes to it before they do. So that's that's point one. Uh, point two is holy crap, it works. Yeah. It 
I, long, long, long time Verge readers will remember the drama with the um, the Nokia phone that uh, we caught them uh, shooting a DSLR to prove their video, like on a rig to prove video stabilization, and they front made it look like it was supposed to be the camera. And so we called them mm. out, and they invited us out to like Central Park at like 11 o'clock at night to take low-light photos to prove that this thing could take low-light photos. And so we did that, and for the time, they were pretty amazing. And it, it basically just took long-ass exposures. Um, night Sight takes long exposures, but not, not in the way that you think. Um, I mean, I don't have the full details right off the top of my head, but like when you take the photo, it's like hold still, and it's like get, it says hold still gathering light. But I think it's taking just a bunch more, um, not necessarily long exposures, they're probably longer than before, but it's just taking, getting a bunch of more data in. And so even if there's subtle movement, like I took a picture of my cat this morning when it was still dark, because that's what I do. Um, and, you know, like it's a cat. It doesn't sit perfectly still, but there wasn't as much like blur and blah that I would have expected if it were just a big, long ass exposure. Um, and yeah, like you could just get just, incredible lighting uh, that feels completely uncanny and unnatural yeah. uh, out of this thing. So that to so, me is the, I'm, if you buy, if you have a pixel and you're like, you know, I don't want photos that look like reality at night. I want, <laughs> I want a pleasing, it's like, well, okay, Google gave you a button. And I, yep. that it's to a me, mode. a mode, I, I'm excited to play with it. Uh, I haven't installed it yet. How hard is it yeah, to Vlad, install? It's easy. Vlad has a the whole APK from ahead, set Vlad. of these sample photos, and they're astonishing. Like the what he did one of these headphones, and nearly it's nearly dark. And he took a picture of his headphones, and you could read the serial number. Which, to Dieter's point, like there's clearly at least somewhere in this algorithm a very a relatively short exposure, so that details are not blurred. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna read a quick ad, and then Liz is gonna do this week in Elon, and we're gonna come right back. This episode of VergeCast is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Have you ever let a bot network amplify negative stories about your company? That's definitely not smart. But you know what is smart? Using ZipRecruiter to hire for your business. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Powerful technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. Then ZipRecruiter spotlights the top candidates for your job so you never miss out on a great match. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the United States based on Trustpilot rating of hiring sites with over 1,000 reviews. VergeCast listeners try it all for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Verge. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Verge. ZipRecruiter, smartest way to hire. Ladies and gentlemen, my fellow dirtbags and everybody else, welcome to This Week in Elon. I'm your host, Elizabeth Lopato, deputy editor at The Verge. So, how about the Tesla profit? Pretty wild, right? I mean, honestly, who needs reality TV when you have Tesla? Because while Elon Musk was spending the third quarter publicly shooting himself in the foot, Tesla managed to get itself to profitability. I would find this unbelievable in a television show, but here it is happening in reality. So that happened. And you know what's even weirder? It was a normal, it was a normal conference call. Nobody got yelled at, nobody got called boring. There were, you know, it was, it was, I was like kind of impressed. <laughs> but I will say that like, in context, watching Elon Musk impersonate a normal CEO is like, 
a little bit like watching a trained cat circus because you're just like impressed. You don't know who was responsible or, or how much training went into this thing. Uh, this could be coming from Elon himself for all I know. Like he could have just decided to straighten up and fly right and is now flying right. But, you know, it was something. There were a bunch of things that were talked about on the call. I was actually a little bit surprised that Musk didn't spend more time sort of taking a victory lap about the profitability because it was a surprise. You know, the stock was up $10, I think, after market. It was it was not bad. So the company has $3 billion in cash, which is more than the second quarter of the year. Great. And it's the first profitable quarter since 2016. Although it has to be said that Tesla has never managed to make a profit for an entire year. But the way that this was being sort of presented was that this might be actually a turning point where Tesla is just profitable from now on. Now, obviously, we're going to see whether that happens or not. You know, there's the fourth quarter. And if they post another profit, great. So stay tuned. But one of the things that was interesting about it is that Tesla nearly doubled production of the Model 3 from the second quarter to the third this year. And in fact, the company made more cars than it could deliver. So that was a, uh, a challenge, but it turns out delivery is easier to solve than manufacturing, or at least that's what Elon Musk said on the call. So it looks like they did pretty well. They also said they're, you know, pulling in a pretty good margin on the car because of a reduced cost of raw materials, which is a little boring for like a consumer tech point of view. But if you care about this company as an ongoing thing, it's a good sign. And then the other fun part of the earnings call, Musk said that he has approved the final prototype of the Model Y. So that's the SUV in their line. Full volume production isn't going to happen until 2020, but the final prototype is done. Also on the call, Elon Musk talked about the Tesla pickup truck, which he is probably the most excited about, or at least that's what he says. So that's cool. And he mentioned the solar roof is getting closer to reality. So it was all in all pretty big week for Elon and not in the way that we're used to. It was like a big positive week. So while he was out here for a couple months taking pretending to take Tesla private, deciding not to take Tesla private, beefing with Azealia Banks, among others, taunting short sellers, getting into a fight with the SEC, then settling with the SEC, like while all of that was going on, Tesla functioned. Nice work, Tesla. That's This Week in Elon. I'm Elizabeth Lopato. I will see you next week. All right, Dieter. Yes. You reviewed the, logo, the, yoga, the Lenovo Yoga Book, not the Logo Book, the Lenovo Yoga Book C930, which is like the update, right? To the yeah. last one. Mm-hmm. I would say it's, that uh, um, I read this review mm-hmm. and, and the, uh, I felt a, a deep sense of heartbreak and loss from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. This was a you this hold was a tough the thing one to get fir- through. The first time you pick it up, you're like, "Oh my god, this yes, finally!" Everyone thinks it's a bad idea to type on screens, but someone's going to get it right, and it's going to be worth the trade off. And you're going to have something amazing, and this thing is <laughs> tiny and light. And then you like open it up, and you're like, "Oh, cool! There's like a touchpad that like covers up part of the keyboard and use it, so the touchpad's big enough. But then the keyboard can also be big enough, which is, you know." The nice thing about software keyboards is they can adapt to your needs. And this does that. And that's great. Mm. And it still stays small. And then you start to use Windows. And Windows is, like, fast enough to do basic stuff. Like, you're not going to want to run Photoshop. But, like, you can have six apps open and a bunch of tabs. And, like, it handles it. And yet it's still tiny. And you're like, hooray! And then you tried to try type your 20th word. And then you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like you were used some word like you get exhausted or tired using the keyboard. Like I could just imagine yeah. you're just working so much harder to 
correctly yeah. type. Well, so it does me, the I'm thing where like if missing, you and then if you hit like caps lock instead of A, and it'll use some AI stuff to like figure out what mm. you're supposed to do, just like a software keyboard on a phone will do some of that autocorrect stuff. Um, but that's actually not the problem. I thought the problem would be it's exhausting to not have a, a physical keys that you push down. Um, I thought mm. it would suck to need to use your fingertips and like have to worry about fingernails and you know like typing on glass over time. Like it would just hurt your fingers. I thought all that would be a problem. Turns out that the actual problem with typing out a piece of glass instead of a physical keyboard over time is you can't just rest your fingers on the damn thing because they think you're typing. <laughs> you need to like, uh, oh, I'm typing, and then uh, hold them over the thing. Because like if you're just like sitting at your computer, like you you might just have your finger gently resting on the home row, you know, and that's fine, and that works. I feel like I want to put happens. a new T-shirt in the Verge store that's like, buttons are good. <laughs> and it's like a movement and all of us. Okay. <laughs> how did how did you let it come to this? Because <laughs> like reading this review, it's like old yeller, but like you get it. Like the boy, he's going to love the dog. You know, it's his best friend yeah. and it saved him from that bear that one time. But how did yeah. you convince yourself that maybe this was different? Uh, which way? That... That I should kill, that I should kill the dog, or that the dog you, was worthy still, of love. How did you let your, your hopes get this high? Yeah, did the yoga book save you from a bear? <laughs> I think. It, what was that <laughs> That's inciting? My question. No, what I, made I, I you let my love hopes get the, this high the dog? Because it has an e-ink screen, and so you can, when you hold it, like you know, fully flipped around with just the e-ink screen, you can take notes on it, and the refresh rate on the e-ink is just high enough where it doesn't feel unnatural to write on it and take notes on it. Um, the feel of the glass is good. It's so thin and so light and so tiny, and it does so much better as just like a basic Windows computer than I expected. Like the first five minutes of this device, you're like, oh my God, this is it. They did it. And then 20 minutes later, you like tried to switch modes and you waited and it didn't work. Like one of the things that happens with this is that when you flip the hinge past 180 degrees, it's like, oh, you probably want to use this in some sort of tablet mode. So I'm going to turn off one of the screens, right? And maybe you want to just use Windows in tablet mode so it turns off the e-ink screen. Or maybe you want to use the e-ink screen to take notes and you don't want Windows active, the LCD on the back. So you double tap it and then Windows becomes, uh, that screen goes dark and then you can just take notes, right? All that seems fine, although each, that mode switching takes 10 times longer than it should. But in order for it to trigger this, you're going to go into a tablet mode and you only want one of these screens to be active at a time, it uses like the detector of how far the hinge has bent. And I would say one time out of 10, maybe one time out of eight, that sensor gets confused. And so you just open the laptop up and it thinks you want to use just one screen or the other, <laughs> even though you want to use both. And then you have to sit there and flap the goddamn thing back and forth right, we're done until this. the sensor gets it right. No, we're not done. How much does this thing cost? A thousand dollars. One thousand dollars. All right. One thousand dollars. We're done. Okay. This conversation is over. No, I figured out the love. Okay. Okay. It sounds like right. there's a, an alternate universe version of this device that actually yeah. works perfectly. You can rest yeah. your fingers on the keyboard and it knows you're not typing. The screen uh -huh. is so responsive. It always yep. switches modes really quickly. Yeah. It's, the AI typing is so good that you don't really mistype uh -huh. a lot. This is so an like alternate a, universe the, where Lenovo how, knows how to make software. And then you think in that case, this would actually be a good mm -hmm. device. I think that the, 
this could have been a, maybe not like, oh my God, everyone should go buy this thing. This is the future of computing kind of device. The, you know, the way that Intel mm. is trying to make these devices happen. Um, but I sure. think it could have been a device that's like, look, if you just want a really tiny computer that you can write on, um, this thing is great. Like if, you know, if you can, if they had, if they had just made the e-ink side of it work better. Like the way this thing basically works is the e-ink screen is literally just like a USB accessory to Windows, right? It runs its own mm -hmm. software. It has its own firmware. It communicates basically over the USB protocol to Windows. So it, like, it says, no, I'm a keyboard. No, I'm a sketchpad. No, I'm a, you know, e-reader. Send me a PDF to look at, right? Um, so it's basically like Lenovo took a, took a Windows tablet and attached this like thing that they made to it. Um, mm. And that's, you know, there's a lot of really clever things about that. But they, the thing that they made, the e-ink screen that runs a bunch of stuff, uh, is bad. <laughs> and that's, it just, it, that's it. And if it had been better, mm. then, like, I would have right. been able to be like, you know, if, if you are a doctor who needs to sit and, like, actually look at your patient and you want to take notes on a thing, um, and this would be great because it's light and you can carry it around, you can you know, stick it in a, one of your big doctor pockets in your lab coat yeah. or whatever. Um, but I just, I, there are not a lot of people who I think should suffer through the waiting that you have to do on the mode switching on this thing to, to really use it. Okay. $1,000. Yeah. Well, and it, if it, if it costs 500 or 700 bucks, then I'd be like, you know, like maybe you might be interested in this instead of an iPad, maybe, you know, but, uh, I look at this thing and I look at the Surface Go and I, I, you, you would be so much better off with the Surface Go. Like you should, yeah. if, if you're interested in this idea of a tiny computer that runs Windows, you should get a Surface Go. Okay. The Surface yep. Go. You know what doesn't yeah. cost a thousand dollars and is wonderful? The Google Home Hub. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can segue either way you want. We'll segue to the iPad after the next break. Uh, no, the, the Home Hub. It's a buck forty nine. Yeah, it's great. It's really pretty. Do you have one? Have you seen one? I I have just recently seen one again. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I'll just tell everybody right now. The interview episode next week of the Vergecast on Tuesday is uh, Ivy Ross, Google's VP of Hardware Design, and Rishi Chandra, who is the VP of Home and Nest. So mm -hmm. I just talked to him about it. Uh, I won't give too much away, but Rishi told me, he's like, look, the display is not like special. It's just a, a part that we bought. The special part is the color management they're doing to make it look like a photo. And that color management yeah. is extraordinarily good. Like the ambient light color temperature sensing and stuff they're doing. They like, you know, they did a bunch of Google stuff. They like, pointed a bunch of lights at it. I think they also were really smart about how they did like whatever the whatever the finishes on the glass is mm -hmm. like a little bit matted, but it doesn't look fuzzy like matted glass can sometimes. Look. Uh, so they did it on purpose. Um, yeah, uh, they their their comp the thing they wanted it to look like was a printed matte photo. Right. So they had a they had a, they literally printed out a photo in the, in a frame and put it up, and then they did their damnedest to make it look like that. And yeah, it, it works. Uh, yeah, you should read Dan Seifert's review of the thing. It's very good. I will tell you, in like working on that review, we spent more time trying to come up with nice metaphors or nice language or clear language to describe just how great it is to look at this display and just how like 
shocking it is that it's always the right brightness. It always looks a little bit more like a photograph than a screen. Um, and it's just, it's, it's just right all the time. I, um, I'm just gonna, it doesn't look like I, other screens. I can hear you say that a million times. And then I see seven inch display, the classic screen size for a cheap, bad Android tablet. And I see the price yeah. and I just can't believe you. I just have to see it. I have to go to Best Buy. You just have look to see it. Yeah. I can't trust you. I mean, no, there is, you can't. There is a, there. The truth comes out. There's an argument to be made that like 150 might actually be a little bit expensive, right? Like, I still think it's relatively cheap, but like, uh, there's, I, I am not unconvinced by the argument that, you know, this thing, this thing is pretty cheap, uh, in terms of its hardware. And so they could maybe have gotten the cost down a little bit. Yeah. Um, hmm. um also, uh, I think this, I tweeted and actually I think Sundar retweeted um, mm-hmm. a buck 49 for a really great photo frame that works with Google Photos is a pretty remarkable Trojan horse for assistant. Yeah. Like this this thing is like a holiday winner. Like, it's, a, no, it's no, 149 it's not assistant. Huh? I mean, it's assistant, sure. But I'm more excited about this thing being a Trojan horse for breaking the f- monopoly that iCloud Photos has on my family. Yes, it will do that too. I cannot um, wait to give one of these to every single person in my family, all of whom use iPhones, all of whom share beautiful moments with my nieces and nephews that I never get to see in iCloud Photos. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, if you use Google Photos, then everyone will get this on their kitchen counter and they will love it more and they will love your children more. And therefore, you should switch. They will love your then, children more is a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And then once they're using Google Photos, I'll be like, you know, you're 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 using Google Photos. Do you really need to keep using iMessage? And yeah, maybe. good luck, buddy. I have Just tried maybe. to wield the power of the baby <laughs> to break the iMessage, and it's, it cannot be done. It doesn't work? The baby has almost infinite power, but nothing can break iMessage lock-in. Maybe your baby's just not cute enough. I don't think that's true. To be honest (laughs) with you, the baby is like two steps away from being an Instagram influencer already. She didn't have her own account. Uh, (laughs) um, Anyway, but so I tweeted this, sooner I retweeted it. Two things. One is a story we have to chase, actually. Uh, One is pause. So people are like, that's great. I don't want Google to track me, which is fair. Uh, The switch on the back is a hardware switch for the microphone. So oh, interesting. Electrically disconnects the microphone. So you can just use it as a Google Photos device. Um, yeah. So that's cool. So you can just do that. Here's the the other part, though. If you if you do decide to use it as an assistant device, you click it over, you turn it on, Google will then, and this is a story we have to write, but Google will then demand that the Google account associated with your home device turn on a bunch of tracking settings. So then you have to turn on web and app tracking. You have to turn, oh. obviously, voice assistant stuff. Uh, and you have to turn on some other one. Uh, the, saying I want my, I want to use Google Home and Google Assistant, so I'm going to let Google track my web and ac- app activity is like, too, oh, it's search tracking is the other one, which also sort yeah. of makes sense. But um, Rene Ritchie from iMore has been banging on about this for years, that he wants to try Google Assistant, but it, since he, in order to use it, you have to turn all the tracking on, he refuses. Yeah. But I think this is this is the one where, for the Google Home Mini, it felt like you're buying Google Assistant, this is the thing, you, you know, like, whatever. Yeah. I yeah. think tying it to Google Photos and the fact that people just want a great photo frame and using that to ladder into 
app tracking is too much. So yeah. we should write that yeah, story. They understand that privacy aspect. Like, hey, we get it. You probably don't want us to be like using certain parts of your data for other stuff. So we'll do all. Uh, look at all the AI we do on your phone. So they obviously are aware of this. It would be a great upset. I, I feel like I wouldn't even want to like get this for my parents or something. But if I could say, here's this thing, you use your voice, ask for recipes. It's not like you don't have to connect it to your whole entire life. You just ask it to play a YouTube video, ask it for recipes. Like if they had a tracking free version of this, yeah, maybe so it costs here, $40 more. And this isn't a secret, by the way. It's just, it's, here's support.google.com. Take that again. It, this isn't a secret. Like, here's the support hey, article again, on Google.com. Uh, so three things more. you have to turn on are <laughs> web and app. <laughs> you have to turn on web and app activity, which saves search activity in apps and browsers and gives you customized experiences in search maps and other Google products. Uh, you can also choose to save Chrome browsing history and activity from websites and apps that use Google services. The second one is device information, contacts, calendars, apps, and other device data to improve your experience with Google. And then obviously voice and audio activity, which recognize your mm. voice and does speech recognition. Great. So the one I think that most people care about is web and app activity, where you're allowing yeah. just to use the Google Home, you have to allow search tracking. You have to allow yep. website visit tracking. I don't why, I guess. Like I don't want you to do that. Um you know, when you, if you buy an Alexa product, Amazon doesn't demand that you install like an eye tracker in your home <laughs> to see what you're looking at. Um, so, is there a little bit of a breakdown there? I I think we should probably. It would be better if Google allowed you to have a more cut down experience. Google's settings for privacy and just settings in general are getting, especially on Android, ever more complicated. I swear to God, every time I go to like try and fix a thing or look at a thing or figure out what's going on with the thing, especially with like the Google Home app now, um, you just get bounced into like a random screen of settings and you don't know if it's like a Google search setting or maybe it's a Google assistant setting or maybe it's a Google account setting or maybe it's an Android setting. You don't really know. You're just like, oh, I want to change the thing. And then all of a sudden it's like waiting for a system. It's like, what? Why? 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 Yeah. Is, what, is this, what is happening here? It is, it is actually, it is worse than Facebook in some ways uh, trying to like find a thing and know what the parent of that thing is and whether that parent is search or home or assistant or something else. Yeah. I mean, it, it's necessarily worse than Facebook. I mean, Facebook is just Facebook. And sometimes yeah. it's Instagram and WhatsApp, right? Like, that's all you get. Google is like, is this your dev a device setting or a service setting or a, you know, assistant is just a cloud-based idea that is manifested by some device. You know, it's like, that's yeah. a lot of yeah. metaphor. That's just a lot of paradigms to manage. Uh, it's definitely worse. I wish it was easier. And I do wish I could turn off all that tracking. Also, I, again, I don't want to completely blow the interview episodes. It's coming out on Tuesday, and you can hear Rishi respond to this himself. Uh, but I was like, what's up with Hey Google? When are you going to change <gasps> it? And he, <gasps> and he told me that uh, um, <gasps> people are getting used to it. So that they're going <sighs> But you, he... <laughs> as you might imagine, this was a little bit more heated. So just wait for it on Tuesday. Because <laughs> okay. I gave him a lot of shit. <laughs> Ivy, Ivy Ross, by the way, I won't, I won't blow any of that. She is a delight. I think she's the best thing to happen, happen to Google design in a long time. Uh, yeah, I'm excited I, to hear this. So check that out. Okay, let's have an ad. Uh, and we'll come back. Paul will do his thing and we'll talk about this Apple event. 
This episode of VergeCast is brought to you by Merck. They're going to play an ad for you now. Check it out. This is Merck. Maurice Hilleman developed vaccines for some of the world's most devastating diseases. He's been called one of the true giants of science, medicine, and public health in the 20th century. Yet he's not a household name. That changes today. Dr. Hilleman was on the forefront of discovering, developing, and inventing many vaccines that have helped save and improve lives worldwide. Dr. Hilleman's impact on public health is undeniable, and his passionate commitment continues to inspire scientists in medical research laboratories to this day. You've always known his inventions. Now you know who's behind them. Merck has been working to discover and develop vaccines for more than a century. Dr. Hilleman was just one of the many Merck scientists throughout our history who've been dedicated to inventing for life. See why we invent today at Merck.com slash inventing for life. Okay, we're back from the ad. Paul. Yeah. Every week, my dude. Uh-huh. What happens? I, well, <laughs> what happens, boy? Always, like, what? Uh, <laughs> what time is it? What time is it? Uh-huh. What time is it, Paul? What time? <laughs> Are you excited? <laughs> Come on. It's called... Wait, he did the whole yellow thing. thing. <laughs> it's called Touch a Tree. Touch the future oh. every week, <laughs> always. And, and I, you know what? Frankly, I'm offended that you forgot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, touch it's a, a tree. Good old touch a tree, touch the future time. Yeah. It's, so this is a, a Kickstarter for Mui, Mui, M U I. It's an interactive yeah. wooden. It's a it's a two by four. It's a two <laughs> by four that you put on your wall. And then it's got like a like a display that like glo- like you touch the wood and then it it like like lights up and it's like a low res display and you can like control your smart home with this and you can uh. like change the temperature. But it got me really thinking. If you imagine this, but like a slightly higher resolution, like a little more pixel density, you could have a phone that is just a block of wood. Yeah, it could have all oh, yeah. right because you got capacity. You've got a way to display information. You can capac like you have a capacitive touchscreen, and you probably find a place to put a battery in there. Now you just have a wood block for a phone. I would definitely I use a that. wood block phone. Yeah. Also, it would solve a so, huge problem in my life, which is um, Max loves phones. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's genetic, yeah. I think, uh, and she will literally. <laughs> she doesn't. You know, she can barely sit up. But she will fling her tiny body dangerously across any surface, across the vastness of space and time, if she sees mm-hmm. a phone. Like she will, she will corkscrew around. She will begin reaching. She'll like do a backflip, mm-hmm. and then she gets it, and she, she just immediately puts it in her mouth, which is a delight if you're testing, for example, <laughs> say the IP67 <laughs> rating of the iPhone 10R. Um, so if I had one that was a block of wood, I'd be like, yeah, go ahead, get the phone, see if you can pick it up, baby. Yeah, that's right. Do so you think he, she, wow. would, she would be up. confused by the the block of wood aspect? We bought her a fake phone in an effort uh-huh. to keep her from the real phones. Uh, and she's Didn't too work. smart for us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's like, this palm phone is bullshit. <laughs> you know, the, the argument. <laughs> there hey, maybe- I got Paul. <laughs> 
<laughs> the argument that maybe smartphones aren't addictive, that maybe, you know, it's we just need to hold ourselves back and whatever, like, and like, it's just our problem. Uh, mm-hmm. If, if a, like, the the very the second conscious thought a child has is give me that damn phone yeah before they even know what it is yeah maybe we do have a problem it's I mean I just never it's, she sees us use the phone like she has a phone in her face because we're always taking photos of her but it's not yeah. like we mm-hmm. like she's not watched a movie yet you know like she's never been shown uh, FaceTime but like yeah. that's my mom. So you'd think that she would right. really what she wants is my mom. Maybe she thinks the phone is yeah. her grandmother. There's a lot to Ooh. unpack here, but all I know <laughs> is that uh, that she, the kid loves a phone, and if the, my phone was a woodblock, it might solve that problem. So I'm in. Yeah, Paul, I, send me your brochure. Well, it's just a back Mui on Kickstarter for four ninety nine. Uh, all right, I'm gonna get okay. this thing. Apple event. This Apple event. Take us through. I have I have one big question. What matters more, the rumored iPad Pro update or the rumored MacBook Air update? What is more important? The i no. Yeah, right? Yeah, unless they make significant <laughs> software tweaks to iOS 12, new iPad uh-huh. hardware doesn't get you anything. Uh-huh. Whereas the MacBook Air has been so desperately in need of an update. That's yeah. one argument. The uh-huh. second argument is that a new MacBook Air is just them bowing to the will of the market for once because uh-huh. that's all anybody wants. And uh-huh. it's, well, whatever, it'll just be a computer, like another Mac that they don't update for the next 10 years. And the yeah. USB-C on the iPad is a revolution. Because it changes <laughs> it into a real, honest to God, computer I don't know what that the you hell can it's plug do. stuff into. Wait, so yeah. so here's my, here's my thinking. One of these two things will be the best thousand dollar computer that Apple offers. Yes. Depending on that's that's which one it is, that is the most important one. And that right now will obviously be the MacBook Air. Well, it's mm, probably gonna be mm. the MacBook Air, unless Apple does something new for the iPads that makes it a better computer. Okay, so here's so, my, my big question. Uh, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Dieter, by all means. Okay, please. so here's my answer to this question. Um, the new MacBook Air, MacBook, whatever they do, is going to matter more to more people because more people will buy it because more people have been waiting for Apple to make a really good laptop because they haven't bought into this new generation since it got started with the the little itty-bitty MacBook. And yeah. like the, it's time for them to have a mass-market laptop that people actually want. And there's such a big pent-up demand for it that it will be the more important device because more people can do it. Uh, but the yeah. iPad Pro will be the more interesting device because it will point more clearly to like a future of computing thing. It'll, it will, uh, and it will be, I think, the better thousand-dollar computer, so long as you know how to make iOS do what you want. And that is the problem is they've built up iOS from a really simple OS to something pretty complicated, but there's always that one more thing you wish it could do. Um, and unless they're willing to somehow open some floodgates of like access somehow to like make that ha- make that happen faster, to solve that one more thing problem for more people faster, it's going to be mm-hmm. the better computer, but only for the tiny sliver of people that know how to like know what happens when you need to go into the files app in the, the yeah. iPad, which is still one of the most confusing things on planet Earth. 
So he, I, have, I have a series of questions about the iPad. Yeah. Well, I have one question and one demand. Yeah. But the one question is itself a series of questions. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. I do. So oh. the, 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 the big circle, the question, is what mm-hmm. happens when you plug USB-C stuff into an iPad? Uh, yeah. So that is, that sub, is the question. Sub-question one, I think the answer is you plug in a charger and it charges. Okay. Okay. You plug in a display. What? It will, I don't know. Yep. You plug in, you plug in an Ethernet dongle. It'll give you, it'll give you internet. We think. Who knows? Yes. You plug in an Ethernet dongle. You plug in a, um, one of the fiber dongles we have for our SAN at Vox Media that needs a driver on a Mac. Yeah. No idea. Okay. Uh, mm. You plug in a hard drive. The world explodes. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just keep going. You plug in, you plug in a sound card. <laughs> what? Well, yeah, a right. USB C. You, you plug in a DAC. Oh, like an amp. Yeah, no, yeah, like, yeah. like an M audio, like sound card, like you know, yeah. thing. Hmm. Here, I got one for you. You ready? Yeah. You ready? Plug Hang in on. An let, me, let me ask. GPU. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you an plug external in a, GPU. You plug in a mouse. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Do they make USB C mice? Sure. No, you plug in a mouse into one. a dongle. Did yeah, a okay. USB mouse? Yeah, you, you plug, plug in, in USB-C you plug in a USB C to USB A dongle, and then uh-huh. you plug in a printer from two thousand one, mm-hmm. like one of those like translucent probably, plastic iMac. That's printers. like the most likely thing to work. I feel like, like, <laughs> like an HP print- printer that needs like ColorJet Pro drivers. Like printer <laughs> drivers are on 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 a. Uh, tangential trajectory to all other technology. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's just a different, whole different world. And sometimes you can just print things. Okay, I'm, I'm with you. But right now, so if you plug in a strange printer into a Mac, like mm-hmm. Mac OS X will be like, I identified your printer. It'll go to oh. the cloud to Apple's printer driver service. And then yep. it'll be like, you have a brother laser printer. Some driver was installed and that works. Are you saying right. that Apple will have built for iOS a printer driver service that will get installed on no. iOS? What I'm saying is that writing printer drivers is such a weird part of technology. That's probably like the third thing that the operating system does when it's booting. And it, and <laughs> it, 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 would have, it would have been more work for them to take the drivers out of I their kernel. <laughs> I understand. So it's just probably just, it's inside of iOS dormant. Okay. So, you're, and you're right. Yeah, it's probably true. Uh, yeah, it's part of the mock kernel. So that's like one huge set of questions. You put a USB C yep. port on it, and now it's a quote unquote real computer. Are you going to, yeah. is I, will iOS support drivers for wacky shit? Yep. Who knows? Right. Um, okay, so that's one thing that... No but, no, but the big one to me there is, honest to God, the hard drive. If you plug a hard drive or a USB stick into this thing, and then you want to open a file in an app... Yeah. So this is my demand. You ready? Here's... Uh, yeah. Right now, there is one such experience you can have with an iOS device where you plug in a storage device, which is the uh-huh. camera connector. Yeah. Right, you can you can that buy, thing, you can that, buy that, an that SD is... card adapter and plug it mm-hmm. into the bottom, mm-hmm. uh, and then I've you can plug this. an SD card. And amazingly, the only app that will allow you to to recognize that SD card adapter is the camera app, or like the Photos yep. app. So if you are me, yep. 
and you shoot a bunch of raw photos that you want to put into Lightroom, I have to use my Mac to get those photos in the Lightroom instead of just dumping hundreds of RAWs into my iCloud synced camera roll. The yep. fastest way for me to blow through the storage on my phone is to use the SD card adapter with my fucking iPad. Like, yep. just stop it. Just be like, here's <laughs> Lightroom, Adobe. You guys know about files, right? You have some idea of how image files work. Would you like to just handle this situation yourselves instead of round tripping through the, the Photos app? And I'm sure Adobe, Scott Belsky, who was just on the show, I'm sure he'd be like, yes, Apple, I would love to do that. That would have made us put Photoshop on the iPad uh, five years ago instead of finally yeah. just doing it today. <laughs> That's my mm -hmm. demand. Just let other apps address the file system directly instead of round tripping through Apple's abstractions. The end. That was the Vergecast. <laughs> so if you're wondering why the event is disrupted next week by someone screaming, <laughs> let me, <laughs> if you're wondering who that person in the corner of the live stream is, that'll be me. Uh, no, I'm excited. Just, I, <laughs> it would just be a, so Phil Schiller gets on stage, whoever gets on stage to introduce the iPad, it just, just, just yell like, Plug an SD card in. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a printer? I brought a printer. It's like us in a hands-on area. Storm the stage at the printer. Just like, no, we're doing this right now. Well, I'm going to bring an external GPU to the hands-on area. We're going to see what happens. Please. I'm sure please, they have please. answers to some of these questions and not some of the others. I do think the MacBook yeah. Air is just, it will be the the more... It'll be the product more people care about. Yeah. In this well, early month. Uh, yeah. A lot of the people care about the iPad. Is but there. Yeah. Everybody that has asked me about the iPad Pro, I get people, oh, there's a new iPad Pro. Should I get it? Should I get it? And I was like, I sit down and then I ask the series of questions that you always ask somebody when they're thinking about getting an iPad Pro. And at the end of that discussion is me telling them and being right that they should save $700 and just get the cheap iPad, and it will do everything that they want. Yeah. And then they're like, cool. I don't believe you. And then they go buy an iPad Pro, and they don't use it. Like, <laughs> you should use a $1,000 computer. Well, it has Every a nice screen. The only person that cares about that is you. <laughs> we started this whole episode by me saying, I don't think that's true. <laughs> All right. So, um, fine, it's, yeah. so we, You know what I hate? Like, again, in reading these reviews— there was this consistent mm -hmm. theme. I did it too. I, I, I'm to blame. Uh, but everyone did it, which is only tech nerds will care about this. Yeah. No, I I, I just don't I buy that. it. I think there are mm -hmm. they're the they're the people who listen to this show. Clearly they have nothing better to do, uh, except, you know, obsess over pixel density. But there's like millions of people who really care. I swear to God. Mm -hmm. We should have a meetup. We should start a website for them with a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great. Someday. <laughs> uh, and then the last little Apple thing, the uh, iPad mini update and air power in 2019. Sure. I yeah. believe it. I don't believe the iPad <laughs> mini will ever be updated again, ever. Why do uh, they hate it so much? Why do they hate that computer? I don't know. But it's they, weird, right? They really do hate it. Well, I think because they sell iPhone XS Maxes. Like, yeah. why do you need an iPad if you have that thing? If they, were to, if they were to... Um, 
What happens if you try back- and build? Oh my God! Wait a minute. You know, there, there's Mac Mini Mocolo, the like people that used to were building like server farms based on off Mac Minis because they you know were great and blah 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 blah. And they're very sad now because they, they it's like hard to do that. If you put a fully functional USB C port on an iPad Pro, you could build a server farm with iPad Pros. Think about it. If you could run software on iPad Pros (laughs) and not just Apple's sandbox of happy software times. Yeah. Yep. That's why I I want Crostini. Bring Apple should port Crostini to if if you're listening to to the iPad. Uh, and Give you know me. of a tiny USB printer, you a tiny USB C printer. <laughs> you want to like sneak a, it's sneak a, a USB-C printer, printer in? right? Yeah, like if you are aware of a tiny USB C printer that I can like put in my jacket well, just, pocket, or you could adapt. You could have a dongle. There's tons of those. Bitch, let me know. Tweet at me. I'm at Reckless. I'd love to hear about the smallest printer you're aware of. <laughs> Actually, it doesn't have there. to be a printer. Battery powered, uh, ideally. If you're in your car, pull over. We haven't asked you to do that yet today. Um, <laughs> pull over and tweet at Reckless the USB accessory you want to see him plug into an iPad Pro to see if it works. Yes, it's like the I the, love that the strangest thing you can think of. It could be a printer. It could be uh, I don't know uh, some USB th- C thing or even just USB thing that you want to know what happens when you plug it into an iPad Pro, and he will provide that mm-hmm. service for you. You know, eventually, no, you should absolutely do this because eventually we're gonna have to review this thing, and the whole review. Yep. Is just going to be a montage of me plugging things into it. Yeah. So if you give me something good, I'll, uh, we'll, we'll like put up your. Just do it. Tell me yeah. what USB. It can't be expensive. It has to be cheap. <laughs> do you think it'll power things like you plug in like a USB fan? Oh, for sure. <laughs> All right. This is uh, off the rails. That is it for the Verge Gas. We've already gone over. Paul's got to get back to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Is this is it? This is like sunset there now. The light is like beautiful. On this. What they show. say here is surfs up. Oh, God. All right, Paul. Wow. Paul's never coming back from Hawaii. <laughs> it's great I, here. I hope you find a self I'm going to a picnic. And as we said, this episode of Virtual is brought to you by Merck. We got a little ad for you. Check it out. Here it is. Merck scientist Daria Hazuda has failed countless times. But from those failures, medical invention was born. From years of trial and error researching infectious diseases, Dr. Hazuda has helped to develop medicines that help treat HIV and hepatitis C. For the next generation of inventors, Dr. Hazuda's passion, coupled with her commitment to eradicating the world's toughest diseases, proves that failure is a teachable moment. Daria is just one of the many Merck scientists dedicated to inventing for life. See why we invent at Merck.com slash Inventing for Life. All right. Uh, we love you. That was a Vergecast. We'll see you. We'll see you after the Apple event next week. Dieter's going to be in town. Yeah. So we're going mm-hmm. to do it a little bit early. So we'll see you probably Thursday next week. Check out the interview episode on Tuesday uh, with Rishi and Ivy from Google. That was a really fun episode. It's coming out on Tuesday. Uh, we've got more of those interviews. Love, I would love for you to hear who you want me to interview because it's it's really fun. Um, listen to Why'd You Push That Button. That show is incredible. It's just incredible. Just go listen to it. Ashley and do a great job. Check out Verge Science on YouTube. They just went over half a million subscribers, which is incredible for a channel that is just over five months old. Just think about that. It's wild. And you can listen to Kara Swisher to Recode Decode and her new show Pivot with Scott Galloway. 
and you can listen to Recode Media, Peter Kafka, all that is wonderful. We will see you next week. Rock and roll. Promo code.